Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, Radiant Church. Y'all all right? Worship ain't tired y'all out, right? We got a little bit more to go now. Come on. We got a little bit more to go. We got to get in this Word. Y'all, we've been in the book of James for the last couple weeks. I'm walking through um, what the Word has to say to us. Um, what is God calling us to do, and how is God calling us to live? And so let me just read these verses, and then I'm going to ask a question, and then I want to pray. So James chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 is where we're going to be at today. Let me read these, ask a question, and then pray. It says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? question I want to just wrap our minds around for just a moment is, if you had to rate your relationship with God today on a scale from 1 to 10, what number would you give it? 10 being like, man, I don't need heaven, I'm already here. (laughs) Zero being, man, I don't even know if I am a believer. If you had to put a number to where you are today in your intimacy, your closeness, your submission to the Father, where would you put yourself? Let's pray. Father, oh God, we need you and I need you particularly in this moment. Would you use me, Father God, to speak your word to your people for the glory of your name, for the building up of your church, for the accomplishment of your mission? God, it's all about you. So God, would you give us a posture of submission to your word in this moment? Myself, most of all. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Now, I'm not going to ask you to call out your number um, because that's not the most important part of the question. That's the foundational reality is if you had to just objectively say, where are you right now with your relationship with God? What number, what metric, where would you land at? Maybe three or four in a season of struggle, but still hopeful. Maybe seven or eight. Like, man, you feel a nearness and a closeness to the Father in this season of life. But the most important part of the question isn't that part at all. The next part is the most important part, which says, if you were to change your number by one, if you were to go from a three to a four, from a seven to an eight, from a five to a six, what would it take to improve your relationship with the Lord? That's what James is going to answer for us today. 
We've been talking about what it means to obey God, what it means to live in such a way that honors the Lord. James chapter 1 once again laid down his thesis statement about what true religion really is. What does it actually mean to be a Christian? What means a transformed life and transformed affections? And part of that is caring for the most vulnerable. Part of that is enduring suffering with joy. Part of that is living our lives, reflecting the realities of Christ. But that's the foundational reality. But the question today is how do we grow closer? James is going to make that very plain for us today. Let me go back to verse 6 where we ended last week. But he gives greater grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James is going to outline for us, the Word of God is going to outline for us, what does it mean to receive the grace from the Lord for those who are humble? Verse 7 starts his case, therefore, submit to God. We're going to see a line of commands. There is more commands per verse in, these, um, in this passage and all the others, and James got a lot of them. He's going to make it very clear what we need to do in order to draw near to God. Let me be very clear here. Salvation is a work of God. Sanctification will require your effort. Let me say it again. Salvation is a complete unmixed, unblemished work of God. You had no part, I had no part in my relationship with God in the beginning. God saving me was all God. That's why we sing so loud and worship so deeply, because it wasn't us that got us here. It was the goodness of a merciful God. But how come some people seem to understand the Bible and others don't? How come some people's prayers, prayers seem to get answered more than others? How come some people seem to be closer and further? Although we're all part of the same family, some of us seem a little closer to Father. How does that happen? Does God just like certain people more than others? Just, <laughs> I had a parent joke there, but I'm not going to do that to y'all. Um, there's a lot of kids in the room. When we get children's church back, we'll, we'll throw those back in. <laughs> but how does that happen? Does God just like certain personalities more than others? Does he like the extroverts more than the introverts? Does he like those who learn by reading more than those who learn by doing? Does he like those who can communicate well their thoughts or for those who struggle to express what they're actually feeling? No, the way to draw near to God is actually quite simple. It's just hard. It's simple, but it's hard, and James is going to lay out what our participation is, what, our, what part do we play in our growth, not in our salvation, but in our growth. And it starts with this foundational principle that I believe the book of James all rests upon this truth, therefore submit to God. Therefore, submit to God, and everything that follows this is just a further explanation of what he means by submit to God. Now, this word submit, translated sometimes submit, sometimes translated humility, um, is hupotasso. If you want to be fancy, share, share with your friends, you learned a Greek word today. The Greek word is hupotasso, and it's a military term, and it literally means to fall in line. If you've ever served in the military, um, or if you've ever seen this on TV, you see a gaggle of soldiers or a gaggle of Marines or airmen, all kind of thing, just kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden, a commanding officer will come out and say, fall in. And what happens? 
people begin to move. All of a sudden, disorder becomes order. All of a sudden, conversation becomes silence. All of a sudden, there is neatly lined rows of men and women in a formation. That's the image of this word that James is using. He's calling Christians to fall in, to take the disorder of our lives, driven by our own passions, and have them aligned to God. This isn't about meekness. Sometimes we confuse submission and meekness. Meekness is often, and how we use it, is a posture. It's a behavior trait. People who speak softly, maybe. People who are afraid of confrontation, that's meekness. Submission isn't a personality trait. It doesn't look or sound a certain way. It's about ordering our lives as if we're not in charge. It's about ordering our lives as if we're not in charge. If someone were to look at your life, would they figure your life to be reasonably lived? Someone were to look at how you ordered your time, your finances, the raising of your children, the priorities of your, of your weekends. If they were to gaze into your life, would someone say, yeah, that makes sense? Or would someone say, no, that actually doesn't make sense? Why are they giving and sacrificing and reordering their lives in such a way that the world doesn't amen? And as a matter of fact, it seems a little countercultural even. That's what it means to have a submitted life. It's not how you feel, church. It's what you do. But there's a problem with that. We have an enemy, the devil. So in this submission to God, we will find resistance along the way. We will find resistance in our own selves. We will find resistance in the world. But we will find a unique and persistent resistance from the devil himself. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Y'all, there are, I'm going to spare you the time. This burn phrase are thousands of words written by scholars and theologians about this one phrase. Why? Because it's hope, y'all. It's unparalleled, unqualified hope. That in our desire to submit our lives to God, when we run up against the enemy, our devil, the the enemy, Satan, who comes to what? John 10, 10 says what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's got one mission, to steal that which God wants in your life, to kill the new life that Jesus is birthing in you, and to destroy God's plans for you. But how does he do that? Does he come up to you and say, hey, man, I'm trying to kill you? No. The Bible says that the devil comes as an angel of light, giving us that which we already want, offering us comfort, offering us a way out, offering us complacency, offering us a distraction. But here's the hope. Some of us have been battling the devil for a long time. Maybe it's persistent sin. Maybe it's a persistent mindset that just keeps coming up, whether it's anxiety or depression or other things, and we've been battling this for a long time. In your path and in your journey to submit to God, there is an answer for that which the devil offers, but we must resist. What are the two commands that we have so far? Submit and resist. Submit and resist. That is, honestly, what the Christian life should always look like. 
submitting to the word of God as we read and study and gather, finding new ways to apply obedience to our life, and yet all the while resisting the, the siren song that the devil offers of comfort and safety and self. Submit and resist. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, the rest of these verses aren't going to make sense unless we deal with verse 8, because right after verse 8 is, you know, it, it sounds pretty bad, miserable and mourn and weep and humble. Like, what's happening right here? Draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? One commentator on this passage says that if I'm sitting in the living room with a puppy on my lap and my wife is in the other room, who am I closer to? The puppy or my wife? My wife. Here you go. Come on, Eric. Why? Because although the puppy is physically closer, I don't have much in common with the puppy. I don't have the relationship. I don't have the intimacy. So we're not talking about a physical distance here. When when the Bible says, draw near to the Lord, he's actually saying, look more like God. Have more in common with God than you. Have more in common with God than the world. That's how we draw near. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's going to entail a lifestyle of repentance. That's why verse 9 is there. Now, verse 9 may seem to be unfit for what we've looked at so far. James chapter 1 talks about enduring suffering with joy, but looking forward with an expectant hope for all that God is and all that God has done. And so verse 9 is going to feel a little bit out of place, but I want to unpack it. It says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James Allen has a quote that says, Men are anxious to change their circumstances, but unwilling to change themselves, and so they remain the same. Men are anxious to change their circumstances, but are unwilling to change themselves, and so they remain the same. You cannot be who you are and get closer to God. I'm not saying who you are is wrong. I'm not saying it's bad or good. All I'm saying is you need to look more like him in order to get closer to him. And that means not just walking up to the altar one day and offering our repentance, but going to the Lord every day and asking for repentance. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's the picture here? The picture here is a brokenness over sin. I uh, have opportunity to not really counsel, but oftentimes sit with and talk with believers who are struggling with sin, and they'll come in teary-eyed and broken and, and almost afraid to even confess the sin that they're struggling with. That's a good thing, y'all. Brokenness over sin is a sign that God is still working. When it doesn't bother you anymore, that's when you should be afraid. When we are able to sin casually and without remorse, even when other people point it out, that's where we should be afraid. As long as we're in the struggle, that means God is working. 
As long as we're battling and raging and weeping and crying, that means God is working. But the moment that it's not such a big deal, that's when we should be afraid. Because that means the Holy Spirit's work in our lives has been quenched. You know, you can do that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 and following. It says we can quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. God is not going to make us do anything. Talking to believers here. Be miserable and mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. When it comes to repentance, what does it look like to humble yourself? Let me give you a scary prayer to pray this week. Y'all ready? I want you to think about that sin, that persistent area of sin or addiction in your life. Could be anger. Could be food. Could be pornography. Could be anything. Think about that persistent sin in your life, and I want you to pray this scary prayer. God, whatever it takes, take this from me. That's how you know that you're ready to quit it. Whatever it takes, take this from me. God, if you've got to expose me, if you've got to convict me, if you've got to bring illness and brokenness to my body, whatever it takes, take this from me. You see, that's a scary prayer because honestly, we, we battle with sin, but we're not really ready to let it go. Because our sins oftentimes are a comfort to us. We go to them because they do something for us. And we're not quite yet ready to give that up. And so we do it, we feel bad, we, ask, we say we're sorry. But we haven't yet changed ourselves. And so we remain the same. So to humble yourselves in light of mourning over your sin means to pray the scary prayer, y'all. It means, God, whatever it takes, take this from me. It means giving God a blank check to work sanctification out in your life. That's how you draw near to God. You look more like God. How do you look more like God? Is by repenting and slowly cutting away all those dead things that the Lord saved you out of. Verse 10, what will God do? If we humble, if we fall in line to God's plan before the Lord, he will exalt you. Now, this is an interesting phrase. How does God exalt us? I thought we exalt him. We worship him. How does he exalt us? This is why we need to go back to last week. Y'all remember last week where we talked about the source of wars in, within us? Right? Remember how James said it? It's not me. It's, it's you. Right? James would say, no, you, we're, we're the problem in our relationships. And we listed out all those things that are raging at war within us. Pride and self-sufficiency and arrogance and sin. You remember that list? Do you remember where that list came from? It came from the world, right? Why? Because the world has taught us this is how you get what you want in life. You manipulate people. You lie to people. You put your interests first, and this is how you succeed. James is contrasting that by saying, man, if you just fall in line, I will take care of you. I will exalt you. I will give you that which is needful. 
if you would just trust me. So if we humble ourselves, if we fall into line, if we order our life after God's plans for us, the Lord in his time and in his ways will exalt us. He will give us the desires of his heart in us. Now, why do we include verses 11 through 12 in this week's passage? Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? How is this connected to what we just read? I believe this is how, and we miss it in our American context, in our modern context. But you see, repentance and sanctification doesn't happen between you and God. It happens between you, God, and God's people. You see, everyone have a Bible on their phone or in person? Everyone's got one of these? We've said this before, but it's it's worth reminding us that this this is a relatively new invention. To James' audience and to most believers, even today around the world, the way you hear the Word of God is you gather with the people of God because people don't own an individual Bible. Many people couldn't even read during the time that James was writing. Books after printing were insanely expensive, and only the wealthiest of the wealthy could afford a book because they were written by hand. And so the way that you read your Bible, the way that you had a devotional time was you came to the house of God, where there was a scroll that was kept for the benefit of God's people, and together they read. Can you imagine doing your morning devotion at church? I got to be at work at nine, so I wake up at five, get to the church around six, spend an hour reading, and then I got to, you know what I'm saying? Like, That's why the believers gathered every single day in the temple. Yes, they liked hanging out, but they wanted the word. And the only way to get it was the house of God. So James is just assuming what would be the reality is that if you want to grow in God, you're going to have to be around God's people. And so as you humble yourselves, as you order your life, as you confess your sin, he's going to get to this later in the book about how we confess our sins one to another and so are healed. I don't want to take away from that. We're going to get there. But as you confess sin, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, the ideal way to do that is in God's community, among God's people. But guess what, y'all? Our sins are different from one another, aren't they? And that would be okay if they're just different. But no, we don't believe our sins are just different. Many of us believe that our sins are better. Oh, I struggle with this, and, but everybody struggles with that. But you struggle with that. I can't believe that. I can't believe that you're not over this yet. What he's saying is that as we do this together, as we allow the Word of God to penetrate our lives and our hearts, bringing conviction and repentance and confession, as we do that in community, we've got to remind ourselves that we aren't God either. That just because someone struggles with a sin that's different than you doesn't mean that you're better than them. Why? Because we've all got one judge that we're accountable to, and it's not you and it's not me. We've all got one lawgiver who sets the standards for the rules of community, and it's not you and it's not me. So we are all in desperate need of mercy from the judge who's given his law. Just because you need mercy in one area and I need it in another does not mean that we all don't need mercy. 
So this is messy work, y'all. This is messy work. This means that we got to be close enough to one another so that our sins spill out on one another. So that the grace of the Lord can be made apparent as we repent and confess our sins to one another. All the while remembering that there is one law giver and one judge, and so I don't sit in judgment of anyone else. My job is to love, to disciple, to walk with, but never to stand over. Y'all, we are moving, and I'm wrapping up here. We are moving into a new place in just a few weeks. And on one hand, it's not that big of a deal. This happens all the time. People move, you've moved, I've moved, churches move. But my prayer, even as I was studying out this passage, is man, as we move into this new place, would we also move in as new people? Would there be some stuff that we can just leave here? Stuff that maybe nobody knows about. Sin patterns of struggles, inconsistency, laziness, fear. Could we use the timing of this passage in our lives to say, you know what? There's some sin that I'm just going to leave here. I'm going to show up in a new place, not because there's anything super spiritual about this building versus the next building, but it can be an opportunity for us to say, man, I've been on the fence about really going to war against this sin in my life. I've been really going to war about submitting my life and ordering my life to the way God would demand because I feel like it's going to cost me too much. Maybe this is the moment where we say, you know what, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just kill some stuff that needs to die. To let go of some stuff that God's been trying to take out of my hand for years. To submit in some ways that I've been making excuse after excuse that I don't have to really do it that way. And all the while, y'all, we're not going to criticize one another. We're not going to defame or judge one another. Because all of us got junk. Everybody say amen. All of us got junk. I probably got the same junk you got, just at different times in my life. I know this is kind of an internal moment right here, but I think that the Lord has been preparing us for this, y'all. The Lord has been preparing us for, I believe, this moment right here. Of just, you know what, man, there's some stuff that I've been holding on to. There's some stuff that, let let me say this. When it comes to sin in your life, it's not the big sin that's going to ruin you. I tell this to pastors all the time, church planners who are planning. I tell pastors all the time, it is not the big sin that's going to destroy your ministry. It's the sin that nobody knows about. It's the secret sin. If you're struggling with alcoholism, as long as somebody knows, I ain't worried about that one. I'm worried about the gossip that nobody knows about because it's the secrecy of sin that'll kill you, not the bigness of it, not the severity of it even. Paul killed Christians, y'all, and he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. I think we're okay. I think there's grace for whatever you're going through. But secret sin walls off our lives to God's grace because we want to deal with it privately between me and him, and God is like, I don't do that. I 
That's why the verse says that if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed, not forgiven, healed. There's something that can only happen in community as we submit to God together. So what is that thing for you? I started off by asking the question, if you had to rate your relationship with God from a scale from 1 to 10, what is that number? Think of that number again. And then I asked, the most important part of that question is, what would it take for you to go from where you are just one step closer? Let me tell you what it probably is. It's probably not read more Bible. It's probably not come to church more often. It's probably kill that thing in you that needs to die. Now, let me be clear. Y'all should read more Bible. I don't know how much Bible you're reading, but you should read more. I can just guarantee you, like, that's probably true of all of us. But I'd rather you obey more Bible, too, though. Like, reading it's good. Obeying it is essential. What area in your life should you be weeping and mourning over? And not just those tears in the moment, but tears that lead to repentance and change. What thing are you clutching in your hand that God has just been dripping on you for years, maybe, that it's time to open it up and let it go? What next step of devotion have you talked yourself out of that God is calling you to? Y'all, when I first got saved, I just want to be super helpful here. I'm not, I was debating whether I should do this because I don't try to take this as a law. I'm not saying do this. When I first got saved, there was so much in my mind that was messed up and broken. Y'all, I didn't go to the movie theaters for five years. Why? Because I was broken and I needed God to heal me and I couldn't get healed and go back at the same time. And I didn't know what was going to be on that screen. So for five years, I didn't go to the movies. I didn't listen to any secular music. Why? Because that was a level of devotion that the Lord called me to. It wasn't a rule for everybody, but I just wanted to take that next step. I wanted to go from a five to a six, from a seven to an eight, from an eight to a nine. I wanted to grow. There are some things in my life that I didn't give up, even though I knew I should have. There are some levels of devotion and obedience that I always have a reason why it's okay for me to still have. Let's make this a moment today where we say, you know what, no more excuses, no more fear, no more worrying about what it's going to cost me. I am going to fall in line to God's plan for my life. Why? Because he will exalt me. He will provide. He will be there. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I know some of us are wrangling with kids or may not be in a place right now where they can have full focus and attention, but as best as you can, would you just set your mind on the Lord right now? Would you add a name? To just one thing. I know you probably, like, if you're like me, you got a list of 10 things that you probably need, you know, need to die. Would you just pick one thing, one area of devotion, of greater obedience or greater release? Would you pick one thing right now in your mind that you know that the Lord has been calling you to, has been working on you, walking through the book of James? He's been hitting this every single week. Would you just pick that one thing? 
And it might be big for you. It might be small and unseen. It might be life-changing. Would you pick that one thing in your mind? And would you just pray that prayer that I offered up early? If it's something to let go of, God say, whatever it takes, take this from me. If something that God is calling you to do, pray the same prayer, God. Whatever it takes, give me the courage to obey you in this area. Would you just get in your mind a real clear next step of faith for you today? God, let's not just go into a new building. Let's go in as new people. More fully submitted and devoted people. Take about 15 seconds and just pray right now to the Lord. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.